Continuing on in the Gospel of Luke. As Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be with the guest of sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham where the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We're now in week two of the seven in this third segment of our 21-week series through the Gospel of Luke. And we're getting closer to the, the final events of Jesus' life, his crucifixion, his uh, arrest in Jerusalem. That's what Matt Scogan's going to be taking us firmly into that territory next Sunday. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry, Jesus actually coming into Jerusalem. Today we're just shy of that. We're just outside of that. This is in Luke chapter 19. We've taken a dramatic leap forward as far as the, the chapters in the book of Luke. And we're right before, about 10 days before Jesus' crucifixion, and he's just outside of Jerusalem at this other town, Jericho, and it's this famous encounter with this man named Zacchaeus. And it's famous for two reasons. The first reason it's famous is just because of these details about him being short and him climbing a tree, which make it a story that's inherently interesting to children. So it's, it's been a famous Sunday school story. That's, it's the subject of one of the top three or four Sunday school songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I'm coming to your house today. Yes, I'm coming to your house today. Yes, I'm coming. Well, you get the idea. Um, in fact, we could actually just wrap up there. That's a pretty good summation of the story. It's funny, as a kid, I always thought, you know, wee little man, that he was like, really tiny. Like, you know, a dwarf from Lord of the Rings or something. Like, supernaturally tiny. Um, it doesn't say that, it just says he's sh short. Um, it also says he's rich, by the way, which is a more important detail that we'll get to later. Anyway, that's the first reason it's famous. The second and more important reason it's famous is because it is this classic example of Christian conversion. What it looks like for a person to go from not knowing anything about Jesus to having their life changed by Jesus, receiving salvation. That's the word you hear used in the passage. It's a, it's a great paradigm of what that looks like. So that's why it's been revisited for, for thousands of years. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. What does Zacchaeus teach us about what it means to receive salvation from Jesus, to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? And as far as, uh, I should say at the beginning, as far as the audience this morning, I'm speaking primarily to those of you who don't know yet really what you think of Jesus or where you stand with respect to Jesus. We have 
folks like that represented here every week at LMCC. Um, and that's, that's who I'm talking to this morning. Now, for those of you that don't fit that description, those of you who consider yourself committed Christians, what you're supposed to do during the sermon is use a different filter or lens than you normally use. Instead of listening and thinking, how does this apply to me? You're supposed to sit there and listen and think, how does this apply, if it applies, to my friends who aren't Christians? So you actually have to work harder than normal. You still get something out of it. You just have to work a little bit harder and be a little bit less self-centered. You think about your friends and you think, you know, does what we're talking about, is this something I could share with them? And if it is, then you need to internalize it and be ready to share it when the opportunity arises. And if it's not, then you need to be, have your wheels spinning and figure out, well, what do they need to hear? And send me an email later today and say, Ryan, you got it all wrong. Um, so that's for those of you who are already Christians. But like I said, the message is primarily for those of you who, who don't really know where you stand with respect to Jesus. And Zacchaeus shows us that there are four things, four steps that you have to take if you want to have this life-changing encounter with Christ. First, you have to be curious. Second, you have to climb a tree. Third, you have to get over the crowd. And fourth and finally, you have to take Jesus home. Those will be the four sections of this morning's sermon. You have to be curious, you have to climb a tree, you have to get over the crowd, and you have to take Jesus home. So first, you have to be curious. And this will be brief, but I, I just want to notice this because it's the thing that gets the, the ball rolling. You see that the, the thing that starts this all for Zacchaeus is uh, Luke says, quote, that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. In other words, he was just curious. He, Jesus was passing through the town. He had obviously heard about Jesus, just like everybody today has heard about Jesus. And he's there in his town, and so he wanted to go see who he was. He was intellectually curious. And I like this because it serves as a counterpoint to something that we say often here, which is that for most people, your life kind of has to be falling apart before you take God seriously. You know, you're, you're wrapped up in your own little world, and you're, you've got your routine, and there has to be some sort of crisis if you're going to awaken to God in your life. And I think that that still is true for most people. But Zacchaeus does provide an exception to the rule, an interesting counterexample where we don't necessarily see his life falling apart. For all we know, things were going well, but he was curious. He just was intellectually curious, and he wanted to figure out what the deal was with this guy. Lee Strobel is a good contemporary example of somebody who did this. Lee was the uh, legal editor at the Chicago Tribune, award-winning editor, uh, Yale Law School, and an avowed atheist. And through a series of events, he had more people in his life that took Jesus seriously, more Christians. So it's kind of like Zacchaeus. Jesus was passing by, you know, he's proximity. And Lee was curious. He said, you know, who is this guy? And, you know, everybody, when they start a research project, has a bias. And he would be, Lee would be the first to tell you that his bias was he wanted to disprove Jesus. He wanted to show all the Christians in his life, look, you're being ridiculous. This is very silly. And so he set out to do just that. He, he used his journalistic background and his legal background as his tool set to go and investigate Jesus, trying to prove to his friends, look, this, this guy really isn't who he says he was. And, of course, you know, you know how the story ends. A matter of months later, he's, instead of poking Jesus with a stick trying to deflate him, he's kneeling at Jesus' feet. And he decides that the creedal statements about Jesus that the church has affirmed for all these years are actually true. Jesus is the person he wants to give his life to, and he makes these radical life changes, just the way Zacchaeus does. But he had a good life. Things were going fine. He just was curious, and he got after it. 
Now, I still want to say this isn't going to work for most people. You have to be a journalist. You have to have time on your hands to do the research. You have to be especially tenacious. Most of us just aren't going to care that much until we're hurting. You know, most of us, we might start to be curious, and then all of a sudden, whoops, it's time to watch TV, so, you know, forget all about it. Uh, We're satisfied with surface-level answers. But if you're the exception and you think you've got the intellectual chops to really dig into it, then I'd encourage you. You can skip the whole life falling apart stage, which is kind of painful, and skip right to figuring out who Jesus is if you're willing to be curious enough and really dig into it. It's the first thing that Zacchaeus shows us. You have to be curious. Second, you have to climb a tree. And uh, this is what he does to, to actually see Jesus. He, you know, He's short, like we talked about. He can't see through the crowd. And so he walks up ahead, he sees where Jesus is walking, gets up ahead in the path, climbs up a tree, and, you know, his plan is when Jesus passes by, then he'll be able to see him from up there. And when he climbs the tree, he's really halfway home, because the biggest obstacle for many of us in seeing Jesus and coming to Jesus is our dignity and our pride. And in climbing the tree, Zacchaeus has to leave his dignity behind. Even today, you know, if you saw a rich businessman, which is what Zacchaeus was, um, in a suit, climbing a tree to watch a parade, you'd think that was kind of silly, and you'd, you know, smirk, or you'd snap a picture on your phone and post it. Um, But in this traditional culture, it's way more silly. It's a way bigger deal for Zacchaeus than it would be in our informal culture today. He was really making a fool of himself to do this. This just was not something a grown man would do, climb a tree. He's behaving like a child. So he sees Jesus, but he has to leave his dignity behind to do so. He sees Jesus, but he has to act like a child to do so. And that makes sense, because that's exactly what Jesus says is going to have to happen in another place. This is another famous uh, Sunday school story, good story for kids. You you probably remember this time where there's some kids that are trying to get to Jesus, and Jesus' disciples decide that it's their job to be his security guards all of a sudden. So they're trying to block the kids off and shoo them away, saying, no, you can't come see Jesus. And Jesus says, what are you doing? Let the kids come. And he says, you know, it's ironic that you think the rule is no kids allowed, because actually the rule is no adults allowed. Everybody has to become like a child if you're going to come into the kingdom of God. God's not going to mess around with adults. He's not going to let people who are proud and dignified and self-conscious and don't want to make a fool of themselves. He, He doesn't have time for that. If you want to get into the kingdom of God, you're going to have to become like a child, which is exactly what Zacchaeus does. He's the model for us. He becomes like a child in order to see Jesus. And it's going to have to be the same way today. If you want to see the real Jesus today, you're going to have to look like a child, look childish to everybody else. Why? Because who is the real Jesus? The real Jesus is the prince of heaven who breaks in from another world because we had been tricked by this evil sorcerer. So he has to come and break the spell by the power of his sacrificial love, which kills him. And then he rises from the dead on the third day, and he flies back into heaven where he came from. But don't worry, he's coming back again someday. He's going to take all of us with him. We're going to live happily ever after. It's a fairy tale. And fairy tales are only for kids. It's fine to believe a fairy tale when you're a child. But when you grow up, you have to leave fairy tales behind. 
You can believe in supernatural good and evil and other worlds and people coming back from the life when you're a kid. But when you grow up, then it's time to face the truth, which is that this world is all there is, that your life is completely an accident, that you are the result of totally random causes, natural selection, survival of the fittest, that when you die, you will rot. And that is neither good nor bad because there is no such thing as good or bad. Those are societal constructs. But go out there and do your best, kiddo, because it all means nothing, but why don't you go ahead and try anyway? You might as well. That's what adults are supposed to believe. That's the reigning view in places like New York. And if you're going to believe otherwise, you're going to have to be seen as a child by everybody else because the real Jesus is supernatural. The real Jesus did rise from the dead. The real Jesus is coming back. So if you want to see the real Jesus, you're going to have to be seen by a child, as a child by everybody else. You're going to have to climb a tree. C.S. Lewis has a great couple of lines on this subject somewhere where he says, you know, when I was an adolescent, a teenager, I wouldn't be caught dead reading fairy tales. But now that I've turned 50, I read fairy tales in public. Because when I became a man, I put childish things behind, especially the fear of appearing childish. And it's a great point. He's saying, you know, have the most immature thing in the world is not wanting to look like a child, being afraid of appearing childish. Have you matured past that? You need to get over yourself. You need to climb a tree so you can see Jesus. First, you have to be curious. Second, you have to climb a tree. Third, you have to get over the crowd. One of the things that I like about this story as a minister in New York is that the thing that's keeping Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus is this crowd. And it's not just any sort of crowd. It's a nasty, self-righteous, moralistic judgmental, condemning crowd. You see later on in the passage, they call him a sinner. They're labeling him. They, they reject him. They don't want him around. And that's what's coming between him and Jesus. You know, we said he had to climb a tree because he was short, but that doesn't answer the question of, well, why couldn't he get through the crowd? Because normally, a short person, you let them through. You let them to the front. If they're shorter than you, they're not going to block your view. We have every reason to believe that he couldn't get through the crowd because the crowd didn't want him to get through the crowd. Why is that? Well, it says he's a tax collector. Uh, Even today, I saw a survey where people who work for the IRS, they said when people ask them what they do for a living, they say, oh, I work for the government. Um, So even today, being a tax collector isn't the most popular job in the world, but in that day, it was a totally different thing. In that day, it was the most immoral job. Not only unpopular, but immoral. Because you're collecting taxes for this imperial government, Rome, who's taxing very heavily the colonies so they can keep them subjugated. And then the way you make income personally is by even inflating the rate above that and skimming money off the top. And you can take basically as much as you want. So very lucrative, but very dishonorable. You're a traitor, you're a thief, you're a parasite on your own people. And the tax collectors, for that reason, you see in the Gospels, they're always lumped in together with prostitutes, these two bottom-rung professions in society where you sell your soul to make a buck. And the crowd sees this guy, and they say, we're not going to let you through. No way. You know, we despise you. Get out of here. And what's interesting for us is that Zacchaeus doesn't let the crowd deter him from trying to see who Jesus really is. 
Because remember, this is the crowd that wants to see Jesus too. These people are Jesus' fans. These are the people that are excited about him. So they're saying, you know, hey, Jesus over here, smiling, you know, come kiss our baby. And then they're turning and their expression changes and they get this look of disgust on their face when they see this guy trying to worm his way through. And they say, get out of here. And Zacchaeus, you would think, would just say, well, if that's what Jesus' fans are like, then I've seen enough. You know, if, if that's what people who are hanging around Jesus are like, then I don't need to know anything else. Because if the fans are like that, then I don't want anything to do with this. Kind of the way some people feel about the Yankees. You know, just it's, it's so ugly around them, then the, the real thing couldn't have anything to it. And he doesn't say that. Instead, he, he gets to a vantage point where he can ignore the crowd altogether and look at Jesus directly. And I think you see where I'm going with this. Because it is no secret that in New York, one of the main things that keeps people from Jesus and from Christianity is this crowd, this crowd of so-called Christians that are nasty and self-righteous and moralistic and judgmental and proud and hypocritical. And people say, well, if there was anything to it, then surely it wouldn't produce people like that. If Christianity were true and good, then there's no possible way that, that so-called Christians could look like this. And that sounds like sound reasoning at first, but it's not. It's, it's actually flawed reasoning. And the flaw is there's this assumption there that Jesus approves of these people which is a false assumption, because nobody is more turned off by this type of crowd than Jesus is. He's far more turned off by them than you are. There's the only places in the gospel, and we've seen this throughout the gospel of Luke, the only places where he gets upset, where he yells, where he loses his temper, where he's snippy, are with the, the nice good old church folks. There's a place where he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it is for you. Now you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what are Chorazin and Bethsaida? These towns are small, nice little towns with white picket fences where everybody follows the rules and the churches are full on Sundays. And he says to them, it's going to be way worse for you than it is for the red light districts in the big cities of the world. Why? Because he hates, he's sickened by Spiritual pride, judgmentalism, moralism, this spirit of condemnation, the spirit of excluding, of oppressing, of not accepting. He hates that. He hates it way more than you do. And so when, once you realize that, then this, this reasoning of, well, I'm not going to take Jesus seriously because look at the crowd, becomes really silly and really tragic. You're saying, I'm not going to consider him because look at all these people, but he's way more turned off by those people than you are. You have to get to a place where, like Zacchaeus did, where you can just not even look at the crowd. Just look directly at him. Go to the Gospels, go to the source, and look at him directly. That's what you need to judge him by, not these people, these so-called Christians who are hanging around him. There's a fourth thing. First, you have to be curious. Second, you have to climb a tree. Third, you have to get over the crowd. But then fourthly and lastly, and probably most importantly, you have to take Jesus home. That's what Zacchaeus does in the story. So getting back to the story, Jesus is walking along. He gets to the spot where Zacchaeus is up on the tree. And, you know, Zacchaeus just wanted to get a look at him. But a lot more than that happens. Jesus stops at Zacchaeus' spot. And he looks up at him. And he says, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in the tree? 
I'm going to come and stay at your house, and how are you going to host me if you're up in that tree? Get down here and go get the house ready. And the crowd is, you know, indignant, of course. It's, it's impressive because you see the, you know, you, you might not catch this in the initial reading of the passage, but when you look closer, you see that it's not talking about a quick drop-by visit. The word stay in verse 5, the word welcome in verse 6, the word guest in verse 7 all imply room and board. He's going to actually stay at least overnight, probably a few days. And, you know, he was, it said at the beginning of the passage, he was just passing through Jericho. So he totally amended his plans. Uh, very tense time in Jesus' life, right before the cross. But he stops and stays with this guy a couple of days. And the crowd is indignant. How, why are you going to stay with him? Out of all the nice, respectable families, you could stay. if you're going to stay in Jericho, here's a list of 20 people you should stay with. He's not on that list. He's on the other list. Why are you going to stay with him? They're indignant. Zacchaeus is thrilled. You know, he, he welcomes Jesus. It said, gladly. That word gladly is a very strong word. He's very enthusiastic about it. Why? Because Jesus stops, looks up at him, calls him by name, which means he knew what he did for a living, too. If he, if he knew his name without ever having met him before, he knew what he did for a living. And he says, I don't care. I don't care. I want to stay at your house. It was game over immediately. Once Zacchaeus saw the real Jesus. Jesus had him at hello, essentially. He was immediately sold. And then see what happens next. You know, they, Jesus goes home. They spend time together. They eat together. He stays at his house. And in time, Zacchaeus makes these radical life changes. He decides to reform in these important ways. Um, it's the last morning that Jesus is there. They're gathered around the, the table and uh, you know, Zacchaeus' says, few friends that he does have are there with Jesus, and Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I'd like to make an announcement, I want to make a speech. Jesus, I know that I've been a dishonorable person, and I want to make these changes. First thing I want to do is I want to give half of my money away to the poor, 50% of my total assets. And the second thing I want to do is, out of that 50% that's left, I want to go and find anybody that I've ever cheated. I want to take my books and go and find anybody that I've ever stolen from and pay them back four times the amount, 400%. And what's crucial to note here is the order of events. First, Jesus says, let me come and stay at your house. Second, Zacchaeus says, okay. Third, they spend time together and develop a friendship. And then fourth and finally, and only after those first three things have happened, does does Zacchaeus then say, okay, I want to make these changes. It happens last. It happens after the other three things. And if you get it out of order, you completely misunderstand. Because what doesn't happen is Zacchaeus doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'd like you to come over to my house. And Jesus says, well, you're going to stop being a tax collector first? Are you going to clean up your life first? Are you going to, I mean, what you're doing, the way you're living is not acceptable. So come back to me, talk to me when you've got all that stuff figured out. He doesn't say that. In fact, it's not even Zacchaeus that comes to Jesus. It's Jesus that comes to Zacchaeus and says, let me come over. And Zacchaeus says, okay. And then only after Zacchaeus has received that unconditional love and acceptance, while he's still this dirty, rotten scoundrel, only after he's received that, does he change? One of the most pervasive and one of the dumbest Christian uh, criticisms, cr- uh, criticisms of Christianity is, well, if God loves you and accepts you no matter what, 
then what motivation do you have to be good? And the extent to which that criticism grossly misunderstands human nature is impossible to, to overstate. Because God loving you and accepting you no matter what is the only motivation to be good that actually works and has staying power. Because what everybody else says is, if you change, then I'll love you. And it never works. If you change, then I'll love you. Here's the carrot. Try that. Just try that in your marriage. If you change, then I'll love you. And get back to me and tell me how that works. And God says, I love you. That's it. I love you, period. I love you the way you are. Not I will love you when, I will love you if, but I do love you now. And that love is what flips the switch and makes you able to change for the very first time. Gives you a power to change that you didn't have before. That's what you see with Zacchaeus. He accepts Christ. He gets that love flowing into his life. And then and only then does he have the power to change as a result of it. You see the, the eagerness. Did you catch those two words there that he says before he announces all the changes he's about to make? He says, Lord, look. He's so eager. He says, look, Lord. It's like, Daddy, look. I should recognize that. I hear it a hundred times a day. My life is just a constant barrage of, Daddy, look. You know, Daddy, look at this bracelet I made. Daddy, look at this new move I learned. Daddy, look at my new outfit today. And it's not that they are trying to earn my love and acceptance. It's that I brought them into existence. I've given them everything they have. I love them for no reason at all, just because they're my children. And so that love binds their hearts to my heart in such a way that they want to make me proud and they want to make me smile. And that's what Zacchaeus does. He's not trying to meet some legal obligation. He's not trying, he doesn't feel pressured to do this. He just wants to make Jesus proud and wants to make Jesus smile because Jesus is the one that has loved him like this. And that's the way it's going to have to be for all of us. If you want to change, you have to first, if you want, you know, salvation is the word that we uh, began with. If you want salvation, you first have to stop worrying about cleaning up your life and just accept this. Jesus says at the end, salvation has come to this house. But again, getting back to the order thing, notice the, the verb tense. Has come, past perfect tense. Not salvation will come now because you did this. It has already come. What you just said is the sign that you'd already received salvation. When a, a bulb pops through the ground in spring and you see the, the green shoot, you don't say, oh, look, that bulb is now alive. No, the shoot is the proof that it was alive all along. And what, what Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus is, I can see now that my love has come into your life. Salvation has come, and this is the proof of it. So those are the four steps. You've got to be curious. You have to climb a tree. You have to get over the crowd. And you have to finally take Jesus home with you. And if you can do that, then you can experience salvation. You can experience not only God's love flowing through your life, but you can experience this life change that it makes possible. I want to close by addressing one last objection, which would be, well, it's kind of easier for Zacchaeus, right? I mean, he sees Jesus' unconditional love in a very tangible, very real way that I haven't been able to see or experience like that. So how can you hold me to the same standard as him? But actually, you've seen Jesus' love in a very tangible and real way that Zacchaeus didn't have the advantage of seeing. We talked about how this is 10 days before the cross, and what Zacchaeus didn't know was the basis upon which Jesus was able to call him down 
out of that tree. We talked at the beginning about how he's up in that tree in the first place because the crowd had pushed him away. The crowd had rejected him. He was despised and rejected. And so he's up on this tree, and it's a tree for him of shame and disgrace. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. But the only reason he's able to say that is because he knows that in a matter of days, he's going to put up on the tree of shame and disgrace, the cross. He's going to be despised and rejected in our place. He's going to take all that ridicule and scorn. People are going to point and laugh at him up on the tree, just like they pointed and laughed at Zacchaeus. And it's that that's the tangible expression of unconditional love for the rest of us. That's what we've all gotten to see that Zacchaeus didn't get to see. It's by far the most notable event in world history by any measurement. Whoever you ask, any historian, it's the most significant event in world history. You know about it. You can't plead ignorance. You know about it. You've seen it. You know what happened. The question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to it? Because at some point, Jesus will issue that same invitation, or rather inviting himself, that he did with Zacchaeus. There's in, in Revelation 3, there's that verse where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears, I'll come in and we'll eat together. Same thing as with Zacchaeus. At some point, he is going to invite himself over. He is going to invite himself over to your life. And the question is, when that happens, will you be listening? Will you be ready? Will you respond? Let's pray. God, we know that you love us before we change. And we could talk about that a lot of times in a lot of different ways before it seeps in and becomes something that feels real or true to us because nobody else is that way. Everybody else, you have to change first to merit and deserve and earn the love. So what I ask is that you would do something that Um, no amount of explanation or discussion could do, which is impress this truth upon us. That you would, by your Spirit, give us a sense of that love that is not contingent upon us changing first. That we'd be able to receive it, and in so doing, receive salvation. We'd receive a power and a motivation that we've never had before to change. Not because we have to change to prove ourselves to you or to anyone else, but because We're so transformed by you accepting us even before we were different, and we want to make you smile and make you proud. Please, God, do what only you can do in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.